Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. people i'm so excited to introduce some very special guests to this podcast the house of pod first let me tell you i am kave hoda i think i'm pronouncing that correctly and joining me on what is probably the most persian episode i've ever had i have uh, shahin davari college professor professor of communication studies at orange coast college you, hey, everybody. Uh, you've heard him before on our episode on sleep um so uh shaheen wait thanks for coming back buddy thanks for having me back and so soon i hope that can make this a regular thing i hope the listeners don't hate me so that's great mm, don't get your hopes up um but i am <laughs> glad you're here today because you i think it's important that you are here uh one davari brother at least is here to, to help uh interview our guest who i mean this is kind of a big deal it's for, a legend for he's a legend he's a not legend. A, no pressure yeah. But, you know, on the show, we've had like politicians, we've had musicians, we've had world leading experts in medicine and giants in the field of medical research. But I'm probably never more excited to have a guest than when Maz Jabrani comes on. Maz, uh, assuming that he remembers being on the show before, is <laughs> Maz Jabrani is one of uh, the, the best comedians out there that you can catch. His new comedy special, Birds and the Bees, is available in like 15 languages on YouTube. How many, Moz? How many uh, languages are you now available in? Uh, well, first, I said I'm kind of a big deal. I think you got to edit that out. Make sure to just get the kind of out. So I'm a big yeah. deal. So you, let's get that correct, please. You're right. I, that's, that I, I gave you the intro. You messed it up. No. Um, damn it. Oh. Listen, good to be back on. <laughs> Moz, it's, um, so, it's so good to have you. It's so good to have you. Thanks for having me again, man. I appreciate you uh, being in touch and, and doing this. I'm so I'm so happy you've been doing this and, and it's been successful. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but I am doing it. Um, so yeah. it is it is fun. Um, okay, so Maz, of course, let's start at the top. You are now touring. You have shows. You did some in San Jose recently, right? Yes, yes. I've been on tour. Um, you know, it's interesting. Somebody was asking me to go, how's how's things going? I said, you know, it's funny. When, when we were on the lockdown for the pandemic, as a touring comedian, I was complaining. I was like, gosh, I'm not working enough. I need to get, I hope this pandemic 
is over so I can go tour. Now that I'm touring again, I'm like, gosh, I'm working too much. I need a break. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just in San Jose and Sacramento for some shows and uh, not sure when this will go out, but uh, in May, I'm going to be in Raleigh and then Denver. And then in July, I'm going to be in uh, uh, Australia and Hawaii. And then the tour just keeps going. As it, I've just been, I, I, I've been up in the air like George where, Clooney for many where years. Where can we now. find uh, info on your tour? Well, all my dates are listed on my website, which is mazjobrani.com, M-A-Z-J-O-B-R-A-N-I.com. Uh, the special, The Birds and the Bees, is on YouTube. And then, uh, as you guys might imagine, I'm all over social media, at Maz Jobrani. I've, I've monopolized much Maz Jobrani. I've got it on Instagram. <laughs> I've got it on, on TikTok. i got it on Twitter. I think I'm the only Maz Jobrani. God, I would hope. Um, that's a good thing about all of our names, actually. So it's good and it's bad. As a doctor, if you're trying to remain obscure, having the name Kabe Hoda isn't that helpful. But uh, if you are a, a comedian, the, having the name Maz Jobrani is, is a great one to have. Um, you know, it's funny. You're talking about, you know, traveling around the country. Um, and with the exception of Australia, it's kind of, I was about to say, I was actually happy for you that it sounded like you were staying in the country. Cause I, I think of you as a really global comedian. Like you are, you're out there constantly. I, I feel like you travel the world more than most American comedians. Am I, am I wrong about that? Are you kind of one of the more global acts? This year alone, I've been in the middle East twice. Last year I did Europe. Um, you know, all over Europe. Um, but I will say with the growth of social media, many more comedians are now traveling around the world. It's actually kind of interesting because I just did uh, a stint where I went and did Egypt, Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, Qatar, and Kuwait. And it had been a while since I had been to those places. And I wasn't sure if I could do my act the way I would do in America, because usually when you do the Middle East, they'll say, you know, talk about whatever you want, but no sex, no religion, no politics. And you're like, well, then hello and goodbye. Or shall I say, salam alaikum, alaikum salam. Um, but but this time around, I was, you know, and, and usually when I'm touring in those places, I'm part of a tour and we're all doing 20 to 30 minutes this time around. Um, I was mostly doing uh, at least one hour sets. And so I was really, I was, it had been a long time. Like for example, Cairo, I hadn't done Cairo in about 10 years. And I wasn't sure if my material that I've been doing in the U S would translate. And yet I did it and it did, it worked. I think there's been a growth in the comedy IQ in some of these places where the audiences have been watching so much on YouTube and TikTok and, and all the other social media platforms where they want you to be edgier and raunchier and use the dirty words. And so that's opened up the door to many other comedians who normally wouldn't go to those regions to now start going. Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, do you find it easier doing comedy elsewhere or do you find it when you come back to America, there's more of like a comfort level? Well, listen, the U.S. is home court advantage and also depending on what cities you're in as well, right? So, for example, when I live in L.A. And so if I go to the Comedy Store or the Laugh Factory or Improv in L.A., those are all my home clubs. Um, in those clubs, you have comedy fans who've come to watch a comedy show. Uh, usually those nights you have, um, you know, five or six comedians back to back, each doing 15 to 20 minutes. So 
those tend to be pretty easy rooms to do because you're somewhere where they're used to listening to comedy. Um, but, but, and then, and then of course in the U S again, you can definitely get raunchier and dirtier and all that. But again, I was very pleasantly surprised. Like I did, um, I was out there. There's a comedian named Mo Amr. I don't know if you know Mo. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. He's very funny. He's Palestinian American. He's got a show on Netflix called Mo. Um, that show's amazing. I, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great show. So he and I did co-headline shows in Bahrain and in Abu Dhabi, um, where we had like five, 6,000 people come out in an arena. And then the other one was an amphitheater and we each did about an hour. Um, and, uh, and then there was an opening act named Cypher sounds. who's was very funny. He did about 20 minutes. So, the show went really long, but the crowds were into it. And we were able to do our material the way, like I cussed the way I would cuss in America. I talked about the same stuff I would talk about in America. And it was a fun night, man. So I, again, I think that the, the audiences in that part of the world have definitely come around to understanding comedy more, even the audiences in Europe. Like I did a show in Paris in September and I was always, I used to be worried about doing shows in, in France or, or Italy or, or, or Germany, which I also, I did Germany as well. But the reason I was worried was because I wasn't sure if the language was spoken well enough for them to understand yeah. comedy. And yet they totally got it. I mean, it was really amazing to, to be there doing it. And so, yeah, the world is now, uh, uh, the world of comedy is wider and wider. That's the thing. It's like I, I watch like specials where like you or uh, Jim Gaffigan will go travel to like Korea and do like a whole set there. And and they do, you know, do pretty much the same exact set and people get it completely. And I'm just like, how? that's amazing that their language is so they, their grasp of a second language is so good that they can get the humor because that's really like. When you understand a language, you get the humor in it, right? Which is why my Farsi is like so bad. Like I never get any Farsi jokes and they explain it to me and it just never works. But like if you have a good grasp of language then you get like the humor, uh, the fact that they can do that's really impressive. It says, it says a lot about how much better they are at, at learning other languages than we are. Yeah, I think, well, I also think that first of all, like, you know, I think a lot of these countries realize that English is an important language to know. So there's that, there's that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they learn it, but also I think it goes to what I said before, which was this, um, TikTok and Instagram and all these other things. It's almost like how before, you know, there's, there's a lot of countries where people don't speak the language, but they listen to the music. They love the music. They, you know, they can sing along to a song in English, but they don't really speak that language. I think comedy might be finding a little bit of that with, again, all the social media platforms where people watch enough uh, and and they're learning enough about America mm-hmm. where you're doing a joke about the U.S., they're going to get it. The only, you know, the biggest issue is like if for a comedian, if you're someone who is doing material, let's say about, I don't know, Los Angeles and you're out in uh, wherever, you're out in Abu Dhabi doing that joke, you know, they might not get it because clearly they don't understand the reference. You know, if you do a joke about, oh, Sunset Boulevard, this, that, the other, the guy in, you know, Abu Dhabi might be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, even here, I mean, if a comedian starts going into like, and I live in California, but if a comedian starts going into like, jokes about like the 405 in the 10 highway in traffic i'm like okay i get it all right come on enough let's get let's get to something yeah. a little more applicable um yeah well you know so 
So speaking of sort of global, one thing that I, you know, I really appreciate, and I know Shaheen and a lot of our, our listeners do, is uh, how vocal you've been in support of uh, the protesters in Iran. I mean, something I really like that you've been doing is you spent time on your uh, Instagram, you know, explaining what's happening to people who who are new to the idea of what's happening in Iran, the protests, and in helping to share some of that information there. Um, I guess I have a couple of questions about this. The, the first one is, how are you staying up to date about what's happening there? Because, I mean, I feel like it's already sort of moved past the, the news cycle here. We're not seeing it in the news like we used to. I mean, we moved past Ukraine. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't expect us to have been any different when it came to the protests in Iran, but it's not covered really anymore. How, how are you staying up to date with what's happening over there? You know, that's a good question. I think that I am not as up to date as I was during the protest. Clearly, during the protest, it almost felt like a uh, community-wide trauma that we had all experienced, and we all were feeling it. And it was interesting because, as um, we all we all have friends that are not Iranian Americans, and so it was interesting. Where you know, talking to an Iranian American friend. And you'd say, how you doing? And they'd be like, oh, my God, did you see the video where, you know, the guy hit the girl or whatever? Um, and then you would talk to an American friend and say, how you doing? And they'd be like, oh, man, you know, I was in traffic and then I, you know, I, I went grocery shopping and the price of eggs are up. You know, a lot of Americans didn't know or follow what was going on. And I don't blame them. Everyone's got things going on in their yeah. lives. So I think a lot of us took it upon ourselves to talk about it and, and i had friends of mine who were like you know passively watching my social media and they were and I, one of them in particular was like i wonder that girl is so sad like if nothing else at least they're hearing about it and um and clearly there were people that were more active there was human rights activists that were going to the un and, and trying to get iran removed from um certain or parts of the organization that they were they were involved with and now, I, I'll be honest with you, you're right. I think the news coming out has slowed down. I still have people sending me stuff. One of the issues with people sending you videos or, or other stuff is like, I have no way of verifying what's what. So I'm I'm always kind of, I, I haven't shared as much recently. And I would share more on my socials if I had, if something you know big enough were happening where I could verify it. Because the last thing you want to do is post some video or, some message and someone goes dude that's like from you know something that happened in the palestinian territories or something you know you don't want to yeah. send this information out either you know and the internet will always find out my friend like you you have no resources but the internet has all of the resources <laughs> and they will call you out immediately absolutely absolutely it, it's totally yeah. funny you nailed it it's a community-wide trauma in the iranian diaspora it's so interesting it's just like you ask an iranian person over like the last you know year like how you doing it has a much different way because yeah, it's it's on it's yeah. still i think on all our minds even though you know we don't talk about it as much it's it's funny when you when you see these things that put you in check like that you know um Sorry, no, I was just going to say, like, that's it's kind of interesting because this isn't like the first time that Iran's had a community's worth of trauma, right? The entire country went through massive trauma in the 80s. And on my speech and debate team, we have run this topic about inherited trauma and the idea that if your parents experience trauma, you, without having ever experienced that trauma, will have markers in your genetic code that 
show that you have experienced trauma. They've done a study with with lab mice where they shock that they show them a red light and they shock them, show them a red light, shock them. And then they show them a red light and nothing happens, but they still have the trauma response. But it's not just them when they have when they when those same mice have children and you show the red light to those children, but never shock them. They still have a trauma response, even though they never experienced the trauma that happened from the light and then the shock. And so it's it's fascinating to me with the application now of what's going on in Iran now and what happened to that exact same generation's parents. They are going, this new generation, they're, they're the children of the people that went through the trauma in the eighties, in the, in the, you know, in, in, in the early eighties, right. There, there may be even the grandchildren now of those, of those people. And so I'm like, it's a very interesting time to be an Iranian American re-experiencing in a diasporic way or in, in the actual way of, of the people there, how is this trauma going to affect people going forward in the Iranian diaspora? How is it going to reignite the same issues that came up in the 1980s and late 70s. Yeah, yeah you're right. You know, it's interesting because I was thinking about, I, I moved to America when I was six. So I've been in, in America for 45 years of my life. So I should be more concerned with American stuff. And, and I am, I'm concerned with stuff going on in the U.S. But when you see this happening in Iran, the country of your birth, it feels like they're very close to you and you feel tied to them and you feel like if you can speak up in their uh to, to help amplify their voice that you want to do that and then it also made me think about for example when i hear the news coming out of sudan i said well that's not the country of my birth but if i expect others to be concerned about the country of my birth then the least i can do is maybe read an article on the sudan and find out what's going on mm -hmm. um a lot of atrocities around the world, and it's just sad to see. Uh, all yeah, the, the compassion time. fatigue, compassion fatigue sets in. You just think, okay, cool, yeah. my whole entire feed is just trauma, and it's hard yeah. to keep track of all of it with without going insane. And and I wanted to correct myself; it was the smell of cherry blossoms for the the study of rats, not. Uh, and uh, and by the way, I'm sure that's not. Um, it's not. I haven't read the study, but I'm sure it's not like some genetically inherited thing. The but there's probably a top thing. The parents were freaked out by the smell of it and their panic was sensed by the the baby rats or something like that but i think generational traumas you know i think that happens i think we do there's there's these things that echo throughout the generations you know we see it in, yeah. in medicine all the time i what's interesting to me is is um trying to balance like humor and all this heavy stuff and that's a big thing about like the show and a big thing about medicine that i think is important is finding ways to to find humor and in situations or to still have that light inside you, even though you're dealing with weird stuff. I, in, in I'm just thinking about this. I just did an interview for NPR about the golden state warriors. They interviewed me for my, my beloved golden state warriors. It, they cut out all the funny parts, by the way, and left it very serious, but I was like so concerned about it. I was so excited to listen to it. I'm like, I'm going to listen to this. The first time it comes down, they play it. I'm going to, I was like up at six o'clock to hear it. And the bit they did on NPR right before my interview was this, really serious, heavy, and important piece on uh, racism in the Antioch, it's a city in, in Northern California Police Department, and all the, the generational trauma that the people there have lived through. And they go through this whole serious, intense thing. And then I'm like, oh my God, please don't do my dumb interview after this. 
Please, please don't. I, I feel so stupid and shallow and of now. They do. Yeah. Of course they did. I'm like, oh god. But it'd be like, and, and try, uh, and just to like push back a little bit. Um, they they actually did show that there are markers on your genes from trauma that your parents went through. Uh, uh, oh come on! I mean, there's there's like this is like a one of those weird epigenetic like studies where it's yeah. like the giraffe wants to reach like the plant that's way up high in the tree, so it stretches and reaches out and it changes its neck size and that gets passed on to like the next you know giraffe it, it gives birth it, to. It, um, am I am I getting fooled here? Is that what's happening? Well, I, it probably messes up. No, it probably messes up your DNA. It probably yeah. somehow on some genetic level messes up your like your body, but whether or not like you're passing like a fear of like cherry blossoms to the next generation just based on like Definitely. that, I, I, I don't know. If a mother is going through extreme uh, anxiety or some sort of uh, mental struggle, there's clearly something passed on to her pregnant baby. Am I correct? Yeah, you can have it can have effects on the pregnancy. You know, there's there's lots of ways you can prove that. Um, but I don't know if it'll affect the genetics of the baby, you know, which is already sort I of see. like. But and I'm sure one of my like super smart sciencey listeners is going to correct uh, all of us on this. <laughs> but but on this topic, though, have you found a way to talk about what's going on in Iran in your act? Is that something you would even want to do? Well, um, I felt that it was my um, it was it was uh, an opportunity for me to use my act to inform my audience about what's going on in Iran. And for sure, when I was performing at the at the comedy store and all the other clubs, there were very few Iranians in the audience because it's just a mixed comedy audience. And so there were times when I would mention that I'm from Iran and then I would say, have you guys been hearing about the protests? And they would say yes, or some of them would say no. And then I would just talk about, I, I would tell them how Massa Amini was killed and how that led to protests the, that were um, spearheaded by women. And, and, and it was interesting because growing up in America uh, at the time of the hostage crisis, they used to call us effing Iranians. They used to beat us up. But now uh, I had an American audience clapping for the people of Iran. And so it helped distinguish the uh, uh, the difference between the people of Iran and the Islamic Republic, the, the actual government and the leaders. Um, and so that, that would then lead to me, I would never make jokes about anyone who's a victim. The jokes I made that were inspired by the... Um, by the uh, uh, protest. One was an older joke that I brought back, which was talking about realizing that uh, how strong immigrant immigrant women are. And then I talk about my mom as something that happened to my mom after September 11th. Um, so I tell that story. And, and that was, again, that had, that was not that, that, that was, that was a story about my mom dealing with racism after September 11th. And then I told the other story of how, um, our parents were always afraid of us talking about politics because they thought that the government was going to come after us. Mm -hmm. And how, after I started posting on my Instagram, my aunt called me and she was worried and she's like, they're going to come after you. And I just tell that whole story on stage. And it's, it's a pretty funny story of how I'm in Germany at the time on tour. And my aunt just told me that some Iranian is going to come after me. And in all honesty, I forgot to put the do not disturb sign on my, hotel room door so seven in the morning the german cleaning lady came into my room and i nearly peed my, you know 
poop my pants at seven in the they, morning come to get me that's so german that's so hardcore yeah. why so early they gotta claim Leave your do don't forget you do not disturb simon all right let's i have some uh i have some more questions for you i actually have some listener questions and then we have a little game that um shaheen and i want to play with you but the last the last question i have before we get to listener questions is you know there aren't that many iranians in in positions of power in media i guess or at least uh in front of the camera there aren't that many like i want to say openly iranian uh people at least i mean you it's funny when you're iranian you're like you become an expert at like finding out who's half Iranian in Hollywood. You're like, oh my oh. god, that yeah, you know what I mean. And like, we start well, claiming people that aren't Iranian. We totally, like, totally, yeah, hundred percent. Um, no, like Ven Estefani. What do you mean she's yeah. pagan? <laughs> so like you become really good at it. Um, but there's not that there's not that many people doing what you do, at least that are famous for it, Maz. I mean, do you feel like? A, a sense of pressure from the Iranian community. I mean, like you, like, do you, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you could just be like a comedian and not be like the Iranian comedian, the Iranian American yeah. comedian? I mean, is there is there a pressure that you have to deal with? Nah, not really. I mean, I uh, first of all, in doing this, I've been doing this twenty five years. In deciding to do this, I felt like I was rebelling against my community in some way because. At that time, I felt like my parents and their friends in the community like kind of looked down on this. So already I felt like I was distancing myself from necessarily representing a community. Mm -hmm. um, yes, the Iranian audience did show up, but it was after I, I mean, I, I got my start at the comedy store. So I was already performing for American audiences. It's just that they showed up and helped, you know, elevate my status by filling the room more. Um, and then after that, when we did the Access of People comedy tour, then suddenly we were uh, four Middle Eastern American comedians. And I think some Muslims wanted us to represent them, but I'm not that religious. So I've learned from a long time ago that I don't I don't feel obligated to represent anybody. And I'm just doing me. And, you know, you might come out and you might hear a joke about my um, I don't know, my mom that might make you laugh and re remind you of your uh, Iranian mom. And then you might hear me do a joke about farting and it has nothing to do with my mom. And I'm sure some people might look down and go, Oh my God, this guy, you know, you don't need those toxic people in your life, Moz. You cut those people out immediately. You don't yeah. need those. Farts are funny. Farts are funny, man. Farts are funny. Trust me. Oh, I'm, yeah. a, I'm an expert. I'm a GI doctor. Um, there you go. <laughs> all right. That makes a lot of sense. It makes me very happy to hear that too. I mean, um, so, okay, let, let's do some listener questions here. Uh, I solicited them on Twitter and the vast majority of them were not helpful because there was some variation of, oh, tell him we love him. <laughs> so it's like, uh, okay, that's great. It's great, but it's not a very good question. So uh, here's, here's a couple. Uh, here's one from a friend of the show, Tyler Black. He is a, a, a suicidologist, a very smart adolescent psychiatrist. Tell him he was great as Dr. Bomba in Better Off Ted. A couple people oh, said yeah. that, so there you go. And it should never have been canceled. Uh, is there a number one project that he worked on that he wished got more of a run slash exposure than it did? Yeah, you know, Better Off Ted was actually a great show. It was on ABC. and uh... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Uh, it was with um, a great cast and a, and a great the, the creator was named Victor Fresco. I'd worked with him before. And a lot of people seem to like it a lot. And that's that's what hurts when you do a show that then uh, afterwards finds an audience. You go, oh, I wish you guys were around earlier. Yeah, right, right. So that was nice. I also did another show called The Knights of Prosperity, which was a bunch of people in New York who decided to rob Mick Jagger. It had uh, Sophia. Sofia Vergara was in it and Donald Logue. And it was, again, it was a great show on ABC. And unfortunately, it didn't see uh, season two. Um, we also did a, a pilot for a book uh, based off of, uh, uh, the, the pilot was based off of Firaze Dumas's book, Funny and Farsi. Oh, yeah. It was about, yeah, it was about her growing up as an Iranian family in Newport and the, um, mid mid 70s and that we filmed the pilot but it never even went to series and that would have been great it was kind of like it was it was a little bit ahead of its time so mm-hmm. those are those are three that come to mind that would have been uh great to to see more of if we if it had been possible i actually have to say I, i'm so like behind on my tv i finally caught up on lost so i didn't watch any of those shows but i know you're great actually you know i don't know if i told you this last time i watched it again recently the the translator with uh, Sean Penn, the, 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 interpreter, the interpreter. Interpreter, sorry, you're so good in that. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, that was that was a cool uh, opportunity to work in a Sidney Pollock movie with Sean Penn. That was really really oh, cool. great. Yeah. All right, uh, here's one from Brett at Lucky Boy. Uh, something long. I I didn't write down. Um, this is actually I'm glad I have both of you here because you guys are going to have a perspective on this. We've heard Kaveh discuss the differences between Northern California and Southern California and Iranians, but I'd like to hear someone who lives in Hollywood address the differences. So uh, let me, because Maz, you're from the Bay Area, right? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was raised, yeah, raised in the Bay Area. So what, what are the, I've, I've tried to explain this, but I'd like to hear from you. Tell me what the differences are. And Shaheen's similar. He's lived in the Northern California and he, now he's down in Southern California. What are the differences between Iranians in a NorCal or SoCal? Or is, is there? I mean, I think if we're looking for the stereotypes, I mean, you have a lot of people that are not going to be that different, but the stereotype might be that you're going to have maybe a little more earthy and down to earth NorCal Iranians and you're going to have a little more um, uh, uh, superficial and, uh, um, you know, over the top gaudy uh, Southern California Iranians. But the truth is you have both in both, you know, there's, there's wealth wealth in both places and there's some who, you know, want to draw, you know, show off their Mercedes and BMWs and there's some who are, reciting poetry so we have, a, we have a rich culture and and like any community we've got uh, we've got good people and bad people i used to run away from my culture so much when i was younger because of the because of that and it's really it was a you know looking back was like such a huge mistake because our culture is so 
awesome and epic. And in Northern California and Southern California, you will always find amazing pockets. Uh, and you can for sure find the, the, the not so great pockets as well, but, uh, even, even the, the superficial, even the, the gaudy versions I've, I've come to adore and their smells and their gold chains. I, I mean, I think kids in general look, you know, you want to blend in. You don't want to be different. Yeah. So you're going to look, yeah. you know, you want to be American. If you're in America, you're going to want to be Spanish. If you're in Spain, wherever. And so all of us, I think, ran away from our cultures and our parents. And, and it's just, it's a normal thing to do. And, and you're right. You go back and then you go, oh, wow, there was so much rich stuff. No I regrets. Used to, I used to quote your bit all the time. The I'm, I'm Persian, like a kitty. Meow. I used to oh, fun. literally when I was yeah. in when in college, yeah. I would say that shit all the time. I'm Persian, like the rug, and like no, Shaheen's exactly. I think you're hitting on something really important. Shaheen and I both, um, when we grew up in NorCal, and the Iranian community here wasn't as big as it is in Southern California, uh, and it is different. Um, but part of that was I was like maybe one of two Iranian kids in like my whole like high school and like the other one was like maybe half so i, oh, went dude, by, I was mexican in high school i was I kevin i was i, I still like, i still run into people who know me from high school and like or from junior yeah. high or elementary school who will call me kevin and i'll be like what who oh that's me oh shit and i totally <laughs> forgot i totally forgot like and and if i had grown up in a place like southern california maybe that wouldn't have been the case i mean the thing I've, I've always said about Iranians is like, you know, we will go to a place, we will adapt, and then we might take it to a little bit of an extreme. <laughs> so like, yeah. if, you, if you put an Iranian dude in the Midwest, he's going to have like a pickup truck, he's going to be on like the football team, um, he will be dating the blondest woman in the town. If you put an Iranian guy in NorCal, he's going to grow up to be kind of crunchy like me. And like, you know, his politics are going to be uh, probably a little more progressive. If you put them in SoCal, they're going to adapt there too. Um, but there's a lot to be said for that because there's a lot of pride there that I'm just like Shaheen. I mean, I live with this. Uh, I'm still processing my shame for for having gone by Kevin for so long. You know, that's still something yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like sort of in my mind, like, oh God, I hope my kids never have to do something like that, you know? Again, you're trying to blend in, you know? You don't want to be some guy with a hard name. You don't want your parents to have an accent. It's all That's all very understandable. And I run into that all the time at my shows when I start talking to the audience and there's Iranians or Indians or Pakistani or Arabs, a lot of them, change their names uh you know asians a lot of them change their 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 names to something more american because they don't want to deal with all that extra stuff that comes with trying to explain or or you know or or you know um all the bullying that might come with especially as a kid you know once you get a little older i think you embrace it you go yeah. oh wow there's a rich culture and i'm proud and i wish i would have uh, embraced it earlier you're more willing to tell people to go fuck themselves too there you go. You're more willing to just be like, ah, eh, no, you're gonna have to say my name and figure it out. Cause you can say Dostoevsky, you can fucking say Shaheen. You'll figure it out. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> this next question is from Hassan Solo at Hassan underscore solo. That's pretty it's a pretty good one. Um, and I think we talked about this a little bit on your last uh, appearance, and this is something that fascinates me about you know comedians. Um, American comedians highlight a link between depression and mental health challenges as being a precursor to pursuing a career in comedy. Have you noticed if the same is true for comedians from other cultural backgrounds? And you, this makes sense to ask you because you've traveled the world as we talked about before. Do you, do you feel like that's 
that's also true for other places? I think that maybe there's, you know, with, with comedians, there might be a, um, there might be a, uh, an over-exaggeration of the amount of depression that's in the comedian community, because yes, there's going to be depression or there's going to be mental illness, but there's mental illness everywhere. It's just that you're used to seeing comedians be funny. So then when you find out that they were suffering from depression, you go, Oh my God, they were hiding that their depression or whatever it is. Um, I know a lot of comics who are, you know, relatively, they don't seem like they, they have any kind of, I mean, we all have issues. Um, but I would just, I would, I would argue that, that the same amount of, uh, issues can be found in comedians from wherever. And it's not always, you know, a depression issue. There's other issues. Um, and then I would argue that, that it's not as prevalent in the, in the, it's not more prevalent in the comedian community than it is in the community at large. That's what I think, because again, I know, yes, there's clearly the, the guys who make people laugh and then they go you know, cry in a corner on their own. Yeah. But, um, but there's also a lot who make people laugh and then go have a milkshake and, and have a great night, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's a big difference between the different backgrounds. I don't think there's a big difference between uh, comedians and the rest of the community, you know, in, at large. Okay. Last question is from Karen Percy at Karen Percy. She wants to know, what your favorite part of being Persian is? Yeah. Well, I mean, the food is pretty amazing. So that's, I mean, I, you know, I try to introduce any American friend to the Persian food to show them how superior we are when it comes to our tastes, you know, with the rice and the saffron and the taddy and the fesenjun and gormasabzi and all that stuff. I love it all. And I would put up Persian food against any other food any day of the week. I agree completely. I agree. I mean, uh, I don't know if it's my favorite thing about being Persian, but it's probably that and like our family sort of like dynamics. But like our food is is world class. And I think I think it's starting to catch on. I think people are starting to get it now. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever hit the mass popularity of Persian food that like Indian has been able to reach. But um, I, I definitely think it's continuing to grow. All right. Um, I think so. I think it'll. I, I think it'll. 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 It will. And there's been a handful of places that are a little more, a little less like Persian formal dining and a little yeah. more casual. So that helps a lot. That's huge. You're right. That's totally a big part of it because there's not like you go to a Chinese restaurant. They're super high end. They're super like low end. Persian restaurants are all kind of high end. You know, it, that makes it a little yeah. bit less accessible. Yeah, totally right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Last thing for you. We're gonna do a game here. It's going to be real or fake, okay? We're going to tell you a medical fact, something about medicine, and you're going to tell me if you think this is real or if you think this is bullshit. Got it. Okay. Okay. First question. Poop transplants. You can take poop from random people and you can put it into other people's butts through a colonoscopy to fight infection, to actually get rid of infection. True or false? Whoa. Whoa. Take poop from one place, put it in somewhere else, and it'll fight infection. I mean, that sounds so crazy. It's got to be true. It's absolutely true. It's something I have done a number of times. There is some people who get infections in their their colons and their guts, 
Uh, in particular, Clostridium difficile is this bacteria, and it's a really tough one for some people to fight, and it can be deadly. And there's lots of antibiotics that people use for this, and they can go through many different series of antibiotics, and it doesn't work. And then what they need is a poop transplant, or FNT, fecal microbiota transplant. Yeah, it, it sounds pretty gnarly, but it, for the, the patient, it's essentially a colonoscopy, which, by the way, you're 50. I'm hoping you've had one at this point. Yeah, I've had one. I've had one. I haven't had, I've not had a poop transplant yet, but I'm looking forward to that. Thanks for well, putting that in my hand. <laughs> I'm hoping you don't need that one. Okay. Shaheen, you ready for the next one? Yeah, number two. Low-dose Cialis causes hair growth in addition to helping with your boner. You know, I, I think this, I'm going to say, the reason I'm going to say true is because I'd heard that it was either Cialis or it was Rogaine or one of them that supposedly was originally, uh, I'm sorry, Silas or, or Viagra. I think one of them was originally used, uh, like they thought it was going to help hair growth. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking that it's true. That's correct, man, friend. You are right. It does actually increase hair growth. So if you're a bald Persian man looking to regrow your hair, uh, Silas is for you. So if you guys, if you guys, the next time you see me, if I have a lot of hair, that'll mean I'm banging a lot. We'll be like, "That's our boy. He's, he's out there." Um, okay, here, here's the next one. There's been a lot of talk recently, but somehow still not enough discussion about the fact that um, there are people trying to remove women's autonomy and women's rights to medical abortions. Now yeah. there are a, there's a two pill combination that we use mifeprostone and mifeprostol. And one of them is a, uh, a medication that helps stop the development of progesterone blocker. And the other one is one that causes contraction of uterus and expels the, the, the pregnancy. Now, you might've heard that uh, there's been efforts from far-right groups to limit the use of mifeprostone or to block it completely. And the there was a judge in Texas who tried to stop it by arguing that it was rushed and that it's not proven to be a safe medication. So here's my question for you about mifeprostone. Is this true? Mifeprostone has a risk of serious adverse events greater than 20%. No, that doesn't sound true. That would that I can't imagine that the FDA would approve something that has 20% adverse effect. That means one out of every five people who use it are gonna have complications. There's no math on this show, Mr. Gibrani. I'm not going <laughs> to let you do math on me like that. Um, but they are going to argue that the FDA rushed this and it's not safe enough. That's going to be the argument. But you are correct. It's actually less than 1%. And just to put that in perspective for you, penicillin is much higher. Childbirth itself is much higher, especially in certain demographics. Viagra killed about 500 plus men in its first year that it was out. And, and there's no Texas judge trying to block Viagra. So you are yeah. correct. You know, a friend of mine is a doctor. I was talking to him when, when everyone was, you know, people were debating the vaccine. And I said, what's, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the vaccine, the COVID vaccine? And, and I said, what about some of the allergic reactions and some of the other uh, stuff? And he was saying, well, you know, if you look at the percent, it's really low. And he was saying, think about this. If you were to give peanut butter to everybody in the world, you would have more averse uh, uh, reactions 
than you were having from this from the vaccine in terms of I, I mean obviously the 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 different reactions might be you know the vaccine was affecting people's heart in some way but still there's a high percentage of people that are going to have peanut allergies so it's, yeah. it's similar to what you just said that that uh, clearly they're just trying to uh, uh, impose their Christian ideology into this law by saying no you know make this stuff up yeah absolutely. Um, follow-up question for you. The second drug in that combination trial or that combination regimen, I should say, mifeprostol, it was first used, true or false, as a medication for abortion in Brazil. Well, geez, mifeprostol. Yes, maybe. It sounds like it would be used in Kazakhstan by Borat. Mifeprostol. Mifeprostol. Let's go with yes on that. It is true. It is uh, now abortion is illegal in Brazil, but when you make abortion legal, women are not going to stop getting them if they want them and or need them. So this is an interesting story about mifeprostol. What started happening was that the women in Brazil basically started going to pharmacies and looking for medications that had on the label warning, do not use while pregnant could cause abortion. That's how it started. And that's how the people here start to learn, well, okay, mifeprostol can cause uterine contractions. Maybe we can use it for that. And we combine that with the uh, mifeprostone, which is RU-486, and that came out of France. So it was really like this cool global effort, basically, to 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 do these. It's actually a really interesting story. Um, all right. Okay, here's one for you. Grey's Anatomy is widely considered the most accurate medical show by medical professionals. What was is that a question? Yeah. yeah, true or false? Oh, Grey's Anatomy is widely considered to be the most, the like the best depiction. Uh, I mean, I'm gonna say yes because it's the most recent that I know of. No, we hate it. Don't fact check me on this Twitter. <laughs> I'm sure some people love it, but it's it's awful. It's essentially oddly enough, ER is uh, ER was okay, but. I'd say ER and Scrubs probably the most accurate it, in overall showing like how the world of medicine works. Also, with Grey's Anatomy, if you go back and watch the very first episode, Doctor McDreamy should have been canceled immediately. And if that episode uh, came out today, we would say goodbye to Doctor McDreamy. He would have to hand in his what white coat and his stethoscope. Uh, I I just imagine that the stethoscope is like a badge or a gun. If you gun, yeah, it's, it's closer to the gun. Okay, yeah. a couple more here. True or false? Medical error is the third leading cause of death in the United States. Medical error? That sounds like it would be real. <laughs> it's absolute horseshit. And it's huh? this this fact that has been passed around and has become part of like, you know, like those the, these these weird facts that aren't true that come out like you only use 10% of your brain or something. And then yeah. they spread and they become widely accepted lore. It is not true. It is much, much, much further down the list. It came from one study from a doctor who uh, has now gone to become like this anti- you know, vaccine doctor, but it's so widely quoted and it's so widely spread. It's hard to kill. You still see it. There was just like this medical show. I think it was like the resident or something that just had it on as like a big part of the show. And it's not true. It's been uh, debunked pretty well, but it's one of these rumors and myths that just will not die. it's It's a good way to put doubt in medical professionals 
the mind of people about medical professionals and just to, uh, you know, exacerbate the situation of you can't trust your doctors and don't exactly. trust doctor, you know, all that crap. Exactly. You know where I see that argument come up the most? And I, I see it come up quite a bit. Hmm. I see it come up in the gun debate all the time. Hmm. And I don't know why it's like this red herring where they're like, yeah, but doctors are killing people all the time. So we might as well kill them with guns too. It's very odd. Yeah. Statistic comes up. Okay. Two, two more. One, true or false, fentanyl is the leading cause of death in the United States. Ooh, fentanyl is the leading. No, I think it's heart disease. Yes, you are correct. Heart disease and cancer are are the number one and number two. Uh, they're the biggest. 2021, about 71,000 people died from overdosing on synthetic opioids like uh, fentanyl. That's a lot. It's way too much. But you will hear people exaggerate this number and exaggerate this statistic. Now, the last one for you. When Shaheen's brother and I were just starting our medical training, they had to change the work hour rules because the work hours were so long and we used to have to do so many hours in a row that they had to limit it to say you can't do more than 60 hours per week. True or false? That sounds true because I have a friend of mine who was a resident and the hours were nuts. So I could imagine that they had... Um, change that to try and accommodate some level of sanity it actually is false they changed it to no more than 80 hours a week <laughs> and we were grateful we were happy <laughs> it's a tough road you really gotta love it because at that point when you're a resident you're making like i don't know three four bucks an hour based on the number of hours you're working oh yeah yeah it's a, it's a rough go of things when you're a resident um anyways Okay, we've taken up enough of your time. It's been really uh, an honor to talk to you again. It's just so much fun. And uh, thank you so much uh, for for joining us. Let's just, again, not that you need a, a, a boost or a plug from our little show, but again, where can our listeners find you and where can they get tickets? Well, thanks for uh, having me on. And uh, really, if they just, first of all, they should go watch the special. It's on YouTube. It's called The Birds and the Bees. They don't even need to watch it. Just hit the button and walk away so the algorithm thinks they're watching it. That's my that's my uh, proposal. So start there. Watch The Birds and the Bees on YouTube as soon as you're done with this, listening to this. And then after that, you can come to a live show. Go to mazjobrani.com and you can find more. Can you tell us really quickly about Maz's Heroes? Yeah, Mazda's Heroes is an idea I came up with recently on the tour where I said I'm going to start giving away uh, uh, some some tickets to people who were frontline workers, whether they were, they were nurses or doctors or police or, or fire people or whatever, um, just as a way to say thank you, uh, because every time I would mention them during my shows, um, people would applaud. And I was like, oh, wow, I never I never did anything in, in return. Um, so. That's become this new thing I'm doing as a contest in every town I go to. I want to give away a couple pairs of tickets to each show. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully people uh, can uh, sponsor people that if you look at my schedule and you know where I'm coming, uh, you can sponsor, you know, say this is a person you should look at and we'll pull a name out of a hat and give them free tickets. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for doing that. I, I, I on behalf of uh, all those people, thank you for that. So thanks, man. Anytime. Shaheen, any last words for yeah. uh, Mr. Jabrani? Yeah, go see. Go see Maz live. I've seen him a bunch of times. He's hilarious every time. Uh, take your family, take your friends. 
uh, it's a good time. You'll have fun. As far as finding you, I don't want you to find me. So don't find me. No. <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you, guys. All right, guys. Have a great day. Bye. The, the only quick. person that I think would be better uh, mm -hmm. is, you know, of course, Jake Gyllenhaal. Very famous. Yeah. No, he. we claimed him a long time ago. <laughs> Man, we claimed Andre Agassi, too, even though he's like only half and he didn't ever want to admit it. We Never admit it. We still want to claim him. <laughs> we love doing it. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.